0: Welcome to the Automation Unplugged podcast, the podcast for technology professionals, featuring leading industry personalities. I'm your host, Ron Callis. Today's show features my interview, David Frangione, award-winning veteran in the music industry and director of Frangione Media. David has expertise ranging from being a drummer and producer to a label founder, audio consultant, integrator, author, and engineer. David built a groundbreaking music technology consulting business, working with artists from Aerosmith and The Stones to Elton John, Rascal Flatts, and many, many more. In 2019, David became publisher of the world's number one drum magazine, Modern Drummer Magazine. He also has founded Frangioni Media, Audio One in South Florida, All Access IDA, and his nonprofit Frangioni Foundation. We live streamed this interview on our One Firefly Facebook page on Wednesday, October 23rd at 12.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. In this conversation, we discussed his experience working with leading artists like Aerosmith and Ozzy Osborne, creating strong connections through trust and consistency what to expect from Modern Drummer Magazine in 2020 and beyond, and how David shares his passion for music through his nonprofit Frangioni Foundation. I really enjoyed this conversation and hope you do as well. Let's jump into my interview with David Frangione. Here he comes. There he is. What's up, there Mr. David? Good to be here, Ron. Oh man. Uh, how long have you and I known each other, David?
1: Over 20 years.
0: Twenty years, isn't that yep. that crazy? Makes it's me awesome. feel old. I know you still look as young as uh, the day I met you, but it makes uh, me. Likewise,
1: feel old. man. Likewise, it's been quite a journey. What so much has happened, but uh, you know, it's it's always a privilege when you can have and grow a friendship over many years, as we have. It's really it's a great honor.
0: Now, I like, likewise, my friend, um, David's actually one of the first integrators that I met uh, when I when I joined the industry twenty years ago and uh trying to remember the good uh, let me think about this the lutron salesperson warren lanza uh brought me in to meet you uh in your super cool office down there in miami and uh, the rest the rest is history so david you are a man of many talents you are uh, one of the more colorful interesting passionate talented people that i know and uh, I'd love, if you don't mind, I always, uh, for our audience, actually, let me bring up our show titles here so people can see your name. Um, I always like to start with your background. So if, you know, freestyle it, tell my audience about your background, keeping in mind a lot of our audience is from the the AV industry and automation industry. And uh, tell us where you came from and how you found integration and everything else. Wow. And then... I've got
1: some I'll, topics for you. I'll, I'll, I'll make the long story very short so that and so people can get as much as possible from this. Uh, I grew up in Boston, and as a child, I ended up getting retinoblastoma, which is cancer of the eye, and I almost died. And to save me, they had to remove my right eye. So I had a really trauma-filled childhood dealing with that. Um, but what ended up happening is the blessing of that is lost an eye but gained a lot more insight, actually, because... Uh, My senses, and especially my hearing, were very, very heightened. And I found drumming and music at at a really young age, two, three years old, right around the time I was dealing with the cancer. took me through my childhood. My dream and goals were to be the world's greatest drummer. I took it very seriously. I got great teachers. I played gigs. I led bands. I was like on a path to spending my life as a drummer. And I found music technology and ended up loving that. Um, as much or more as I love drums. And that ended up becoming my career. So I started working with a lot of artists and I ended up with, you know, one of the artists was Aerosmith and we've been together now 30 years. And in working with them, helping to make records, put studios together and kind of do all things behind the scenes. Uh, you know, as my career was growing and I was working with more and more artists, I was building recording studios for them. I was helping them put technology solutions together to make records and put tours out and all of that stuff. And I personally really was passionate about home theater. At first it was just home theater. And uh, I learned a lot about it, built my own little system and got asked to put together home theaters for other uh, artists. And in, in, really understanding and learning what was going on at, at the early days of doing it. I would have never done it as a business because I just didn't think home theater in the early to mid nineties was really ready. Uh, but when I, when Runco really started to get it into high gear and the video processing that Feruja was doing, and then I found Crestron uh, and I saw the path to like, okay, this is how, you can actually do this as a profession. This is how, what I'm doing with studios, what I'm doing behind the scenes, what I'm doing with bands, with Aerosmith and Elton John and whoever else I was working with, now I can do that in the home world because the tools have finally caught up. So it will not, no longer, that was the real roadblock for me was that the tools just weren't there. So everything was just kind of Frankenstein together, which I didn't feel uh, was anything I wanted to offer as a business. So, uh, you know, when that happened, the first thing I did is I went to New Jersey. I got in touch with Crestron, and I started learning uh, the programming of systems. At that time, Crestron was a programming system that you built in DOS, and then you uploaded it to the processor the early days of the CN rack, etc., before it was migrated to Windows to uh, do the programming. So I became a certified programmer, and I learned – All aspects. I already had the sound side of it down really well. So I just had to really get my surround chops together. And um, and that was the beginning. So that brings us into the 90s. And that's the beginning of when uh, I started doing home automation and theaters.
0: And you not only would do home automation, so you're not, for, for example, the typical integrator, but you also are doing the recording studios, and you mentioned a lot of big names, a lot of big bands and, and groups, right. and I, I, I go back 20 years when I first walked into your office, you had gold and platinum records on all of the walls. Yeah. Can you, like, what, what, I, uh, oh are you gonna show <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, look at that. So, like, so, how? What was your role in? How does How does one get a gold and platinum record? I mean, what was your role in in the recording of those those music? Oh, you, yeah, have, you have records, you have golden platinum records. You contribute
1: so that... to the project in some way. So, you know, in some significant way. So, for me, it would either be engineering or putting a technology system together or building the studio that they ended up doing the record in, and then the record goes gold. So they give me an award as it's really a thank you in, in a lot of cases and and recognition i mean on every record there's the artist there's the producer there's the engineer and and like i call them the big three and those people of course are the doing the heaviest heaviest lifting and uh on a lot of projects i've done what i would call ancillary lifting which i know i you know i love the credit it's wonderful to get recognized Uh, And I love being a part of these amazing, amazing projects, but you know, I'm in the technology side of the records going together. So I'm putting together the samplers and the the systems and the studios and the rigs. And, and a lot of times, whatever the technology components of making the record are. So I'm supporting those big three and uh, I've worked on enough projects that You know, I've gotten a lot of gold and platinum records in recognition, um, which is great. You know, I mean, look, my dream starting out was to have one. So to have dozens is beyond a dream. That's like a pinch me. Uh, But it's funny, after you get the one, then everything just changes focus again. And then you realize that the drive to get you to one now has to shift up a few notches. And it's not about getting that record anymore because you did it. It's about doing all these much bigger and greater things and uh, so you know just just keep going the steps just keep going higher and you never reach the top
0: And I know that you do have your guest there and I'm mindful of the clock so we're gonna keep this interview hopefully tight and uh, impactful right um, in the mid2000s or early 2000s and this is more just a side story because I think it's it's neat and I think my audience might appreciate it uh for those that watched mtv there was a tv show called the Osborns, where ozzy osborne and, and sharon and and family jack and uh i forget the the girl's name the daughter's name kelly uh, kelly they they would go through the life and follow these folks around and you were actually on that show for a couple of seasons because yes. you were doing technology can you tell the audience a little bit about that story
1: Oh, man, we could do a whole show just on the Osborne. <laughs> hey, everybody out there, if you're that interested, write Ron and let him know we'll do an Osborne's version of the show. Uh, yeah. But the, the long story short is that I was asked um, by Ozzy. Was, I was referred to Ozzy, and he called me up and asked me if I would build a studio for him in his guest house in Beverly Hills. And um, I did, and it came out really well and then as has happened quite a bit with a lot of my clients when the studio comes out good then they okay well can you fix all the automation can you upgrade the theater And that's how really audio one was born was from these three elements uh all kind of converging you know project by project client by client and Ozzy and the Osbournes were amazing uh you know great family I got to know them really well um and became friends of theirs and worked on a lot of projects for them and of course When we first started building the studio, the show wasn't taping, season two had finished. But right as we were finishing the studio, season three was starting to be filmed. So that's how I ended up uh, on some episodes. And uh, and then that spilled into season four as well. And um, it was just an amazing experience. I mean, just once in a lifetime on so many levels. I loved geeking out in the garage where they had all the production equipment, You know, and watching all the editing and assembly. And then I loved, of course, even more than that, being with Ozzy and the Osbournes and, and uh, spending time with them and being part of a lot of the fun moments. And, you know, this, it was just incredible.
0: Now, for again, for my audience, just because this is fun, I've got a lot of fun stories as it relates to Dave and I knowing each other for uh, – David and I knowing each other for 20 years. So back – again, later in the 2000s, uh, you called me one day. And I did not know it immediately, but you also had someone else on the phone okay. and you said, Ron, uh, I've got a very important customer and he's having an issue and he, we need your support. As it re- and this was when I was with Crestron. Okay. And, uh, and then the other person starts talking and telling me w- what his issue is. And it's no other than Steven Tyler from Aerosmith and so you you did the technology or you do the technology and you've been involved in their music yeah yeah.
1: the music first you mean the technology came later can Um, you talk about the
0: music side and and kind of what your role in in aerosmith music has been and then how that bled into technology
1: well yeah absolutely my i mean aerosmith is a huge part of my life and career and i started with them in 89 as pump was being finished And I, you know, I was the kind of the one man show that was in the studio during their some of their records in the 90s. I guess all of their records in the 90s. And um, and, you know, just watching literally from an idea, from an idea being scattered to a finished song, songs like Crazy and Crying and Falling in Love is Hard on the Knees and Janie's Got a Gun and, you know, all these amazing songs that um, I was able to, you know, be a part of. And um, I think, you know, that's really always been my approach to our our business, the the business of automation and and theater is that, you know, I understand being a guy that's worked on a lot of what I'll call source material, right? Every every integrator should have demo material that they kind of bring with them everywhere. and, And that's how they know what that particular space sounds like and looks like because they have this really solid reference. Um, and in my case, I'm able to take reference material that literally started at the source of recording it and mixing it, mastering it, engineering it, being a part of it, whatever. I'm deep into the source. And then as I take that along the journey from a record being made to playing it back in a system that I just did, I have a really great Uh, frame of reference to be able to say, okay, this is how this really sounds. And this is what we need to work on to make it sound better and look better. Um, And and that's always been kind of my unique perspective and and a real benefit of being involved on all sides of it.
0: You're clearly acting in in a way with your customers to where these world famous musicians and artists are not only satisfied with you but they're referring you and your your network at this point is one of the most you could rattle off world famous people that you're on a first name basis with and or speed dial basis with uh that would blow a lot of people's minds how did you do that i mean so you're you you have is it your work ethic is it the way that you so i don't want to put any words like how do you How is David David and earning this reputation that you've earned, which is really, you know, just simply amazing? Well, it's a a combination,
1: right? And so the the outcome, the result, you know, one of my favorite sayings is results, not reasons. Um, And I think that that's really the key. You know, in answering your question, how do you get those results or what's the formula for the results? I think the key things are, you know, first of all, hard work. Second of all, consistency, which means consistent hard work as well as then producing consistent results. And I think if you had to sum it all up, if you had to take like a thousand stories we could tell about all these systems and all of these amazing people that have, uh, you know, big collaborators, et cetera, and clients, uh, it would come down to trust. You know, I think that really when you're dealing with the level of client that I deal with every day – And I'm not saying that in a boastful way. I'm saying that to put context to it um, because there's all different kinds of client levels and types and and systems that are needed. Uh, But the ones that I do and specialize in and have for most of my career are are, are high level. The people are high level um, and they expect their experience with me to be high level. And one of the key things that they look for in that relationship is trust on all levels and not just, Price point, or you know, that kind of obvious stuff, but you know, deadlines, quality of work, uh, how well the system uh, is put together, um, and the fact that there's just going to be a lot of results the way that they, uh, you know, they expect
0: consistency and consistent execution gets yeah. you. And, and, and it's hard, you know, hard
1: work is, is an, are two easy words to say, but to actually live by doing the hard work every day for years and years and years. As life's coming at us from all these different angles, technology's changing, you know, a mile a minute, um, and, you know, and all the other things that happen in our daily lives, hard work can be challenging. Uh, because you really have to stay focused and you really have to have a good routine. Um, and, you know, and I'm 35 years into, uh, you know, a really consistent uh, diligent, you know, hard work routine. And I think that that helps, you know, with the payoff of getting great projects and clients and maintaining them and getting referrals and just, you know, really energizing, um, you know, or, a career to make it better.
0: Only because time is limited. I I wanna get out one more fun story uh, uh, between you and I, David, and, uh, but before I do that, let me just give another few shout outs. Thomas, Thomas says, salute us from Panama. Ron, very interesting interview. All right, thank you, Thomas. And then Laura actually has a a question. I don't know if you, I'm, I'm watching the clock here, but I don't know if you can, if there's a quick answer to this. She says, what would David say to someone who wants to build a do-it-yourself home studio?
1: Um, I would say look at modular studios. It's a brand-new technology that's being launched now. It's it's just literally, as we're on this interview, going live uh, within the next few weeks. Um, you'll start to hear and see more about it. It's really a 2020 initiative. But what's going to happen is you're basically going to have a truck Uh, back up to your house and a bunch of boxes, flat boxes are gonna be on it. They're gonna get unloaded and you and a friend in about 10 to 12 hours is gonna finish putting this big Lego set together. And uh, it's gonna be an actual proper acoustic space. You could use it as a studio, a rehearsal room, a yoga room, whatever you need a proper acoustic space for. Typically it is a recording studio or a practice room. Um, and uh, we're talking high level. We're talking what costs hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars, require a lot of expertise, and three to six months of time takes one day once all the parts show up and you have a finished studio, and you just add your equipment, call your integrator, and boom, you're, uh, you're working. So that's what I would tell you. Thank you, Laura, for the question.
0: Are, are price points of that modular uh, studio concept or product are those public information yet are they out there
1: it's just starting to but you're going to find that it's uh it's less expensive than a traditional studio build but more importantly right it's not more expensive it's less expensive but it's not the price point even though that's always really important it's not that that's really the payoff here it's the fact that you're saving so much time and as we get older ron we realize that time is more valuable than money <laughs> because with time and, and health right i mean i don't want to overlook health because that's number one but with health the next most important thing is time and what you do with it and how you use it and from there you'll have the opportunity to make as much money as you want but it really it's those are the keys and this just saves you so much time and it's not only the amount of time but Within all that time that you've saved, while this thing's being put together and ready for the Lego set off-site, you have all that time free. Well, what would the alternative be in a traditional studio build? You would have trades going in and out of your space for three to six months. You the aromas that go with you know all of the glue and the materials and the noise and the dirt and the cleanup – and i mean there's so much that goes into it and yes there will still be traditional studio builds there will still be the need for that in custom applications but there's a lot of need for non custom applications where the space is really the the outcome and not having the more elaborate or fancier custom sizes and and uh and you know materials and and look and feel Um, that will always be in demand because there's always going to be people that want their own thing. But, um, you know, we had an order, for instance, Modular Studios is an endeavor with which I'm involved. We had an order from somebody uh, who has wanted 15 of these and they literally have a warehouse and they're going to put 15 of them in and overnight they're going to have a rehearsal business and they're going to rent every one of the 15 rooms out. Bands and artists can come in and just say, hey, I need to rehearse for two hours and we're going to go into one of these rooms and do it, boom, it's up. So, I mean, there's a lot of application for it. So it's really, I'm very excited about it.
0: Awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Now, one last topic. You said that you are in the drum museum, and I also happen to know that you are the editor of Modern Drummer. Can you tell our audience? There, there you go. You see, publisher. Sure.
1: Not editor, publisher. Publisher.
0: Publisher. Yeah. All right. Can you tell us, what, what, is, what is the museum and what is the magazine? Well, Modern Drummer
1: Magazine is the number one drum magazine in the world. It's been around over 40 years. It was founded by Ron Spagnardi, um, and it is the brand of all things drumming. So anybody out there who's listening, watching, and knows drumming absolutely knows uh, Modern Drummer. Um, I was honored to be asked to be a publisher Uh, It's third publisher basically in history. Ron passed away in 2003. Bill Miller succeeded him. Uh, Bill Miller passed away. Um, They had been working really kind of internally with their team, who for the most part have been there over 30 years, um, and wanted to take it to next level, let their team really focus on what they do best in the editorial and the drum, uh, you know, article and education world and um, asked me to be publisher and talk about full circle. You know, if we remember, talked about two years old, three years old, I find the drums as my, you know, as my healthy outlet um, and as my answer to trauma and stay with the drums literally my whole life transitioning from wanting to be and working on being a professional drummer, played over a thousand gigs as a drummer by the time I was 17. Um, and, And then... Take Staying in music, taking all I knew about the drums and bringing it into a technology field and then coming back full circle and taking all I know about technology and bringing it into the drum field. And now we got some fun starting. So Modern Drummer Magazine 2020 has some incredible things in store for it. And um, it's a great honor. And I take it very very seriously, you know, how much responsibility that I have and my team has to uh, stay number one in providing drummers with all the things that they need, all the resources and everything that you want and need as a drummer, Modern Drummer has it for you.
0: Awesome. And your museum?
1: Uh, It's a private museum. It's part of Fran Joni Foundation. So anybody whose heartstrings are pulling, go to franjonifoundation.com, help us out. And uh, we have a private museum. We work with other foundations like Make a Wish and Irie Foundation and Jason Taylor Foundation and um, you know Little Dreams and all of these different foundations where we can uh, bring a child and have him be inspired in this incredible drum museum uh, where um, you know you're able to see stage plate kits. And so we bring the drummers in, like today we have Dom Femularo here, you know, world-famous drummer and drum uh, educator. And, you know, we bring a child in, he meets Dom, he gets a lesson. His life has changed forever. Um, and so we're doing some really cool things with helping people and inspiring people, and that's what we're doing in the museum.
0: David, I have uh, up on the screen right here where the audience can see it. And for those that are listening later on to the podcast, I, I just went to davidjfrangioni.com. And uh, the, the is this the best place that you would want someone to go and learn about you and all of the, the many things? We, we, we've touched on about a fraction of 1% of all the things that you're involved with. Um, I, I'll just mention to the audience real quick here. You're also uh, the author, uh, a best-selling author of. Uh, did, can you tell the audience real quick about your your two most recent books? Uh,
1: Clint Eastwood Icon, revised and expanded edition, and crashed The World's Greatest Drum Kits. Um, they're you know their projects. The, the proceeds go to charity to Fran Jody Foundation. They are celebrations of all the Clint Eastwood films as told through his art his movie art and memorabilia and posters. So if you love movie posters or you just love Clint Eastwood or you're a collector, uh, it's the book for you. And, uh, and for crash, it's all of these iconic drum kits that we have in the museum. We had photographed by a world famous photographer, Mark Weiss. Uh, and he photographed all these kits, uh, with me. And, um, they're presented with all of their history and it's their coffee table books, both books where you don't have to read them. You can just look at them and really be inspired and enjoy them and, and, you know, have a lot of fun with them. Or if you want to go deeper into them, there's, you know, a lot of information there for people who, you know, want to get into more geeky stuff on it. Um, but they're, they've done really well, which I'm really grateful for. It means that we, all the time that we put into making them books that we would want to own and read you know, other people are agreeing with that and, um, and, you know, check it out. They're up on Amazon and they're doing real well.
0: Awesome. I promised the audience one last story. I'm going to make it really quick. Uh, I was driving into Miami. I lived North in Orlando and you knew I was coming to town. And uh, again, this is sometime back in, you know, maybe Oh five or so. Oh five or Oh six. And you said, Hey Ron, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm driving. And you said, well, come to the 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 facility. It was at the Knight Center down in Miami, an auditorium. Okay. And uh, you said, Ron, uh, come on by here. You're going to want to come and join me. I'm setting up a system. I'm recording some music. And I said, oh, okay, sure, let's do it. And I roll up and I walk in the building and I go past some security and I say, I'm with David. I'm with David. And they let me back in and there was clearly an artist performing and it was you in the audience with your rig because you were recording the music Hmm. and it was Sting on stage Ah. uh, and he was practicing his full set for his world tour.
1: Oh, right. Yeah, that was an awesome time working with Sting. Yep.
0: Yep. And so you you and I sat in the audience and listened to the, the performance. Uh, it was it was very memorable for me. It was very cool. Wow.
1: That's that's awesome. Well, that's that's. An, I mean, what a, what a moment. That's awesome. Um, Sting is, you know, he was great to work with. I worked with him for a few years, and um, that was. I remember. I didn't remember it was at night, but I remember. I remember that whole time in the rig. We started at Sir. And I think maybe okay. Night Thunder was the first um, – maybe that was the first show.
0: You were but, following him around to his different sets yeah, all over the, yeah, all we over were, the we country, were, all over the world.
1: Yeah, we were doing different different shows in different places and putting things together and then going online and then working them offline again. And uh, But it, it worked well. And that rig that rig ended up – we want to talk about a, a, a next chapter to that story Is after I yep. finish with Sting, um, I get a call – and it's one of the guys who works in Sting's camp, right, for Sting. And they're like, hey, we need some information on this rig. It's on the police stadium tour. So that rig yes. ends up being with the police, too, uh, which was really cool. And that huge tour they did. Um, so reunion tour back 05, 06, whatever it was. And um, right, right, that's right. The, that's the follow-up to that story.
0: Well, David, I would love to have you back on the show. I know I need to get you back to your guest there in the museum. So it was a pleasure having you on episode number 90 of Automation Unplugged.
1: Congratulations. That's amazing. 90 episodes. Look, I'm back. You just say the word. Um, You know, you and I, great friends, go back a long way. Um, You know, this is a great show. There's so much for, for people to learn and to share. You know, I mean, education sometimes is underrated and the ways that we can achieve education through experiential learning and, and, and learning from others and hearing their stories and then applying it to our stories because we're not watching movies here, right? It's not just for the sake of entertainment. It's actually learn something and to say, okay, well, I, I see what he went through or what she did, but now how does that apply to my world and get better mm-hmm. from it and save time and learn And um, so thank you for what you're doing with Automation Unplugged and and what it brings to our industry and and everyone in it. And uh, I'll see everybody uh, next time.
0: Awesome, David, you're an inspiration, sir. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Automation Unplugged. For a full transcript of this show and all previous shows, head on over to our website, at onefirefly.com forward slash AU. There you will find links to all transcripts, show notes, Facebook Live recording, and resources mentioned during the show. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to hear more, follow us on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Follow us on social media. We are at OneFirefly LLC on all platforms. Don't forget to tune in next week for another episode of Automation Unplugged as we dive deeper into technology trends and the fascinating people that make up the custom integration industry. Bye for now.